This is a podcast from thebuglepodcast.com. The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 286 of the world's only and longest-running audio newspaper for a visual world with me, Andy Zoltan, live once again within suspiciously easy divine punishment range of the almighty Lord's London HQ, St Paul's Cathedral, and joining me uh, from the Woden-worshipping city of New York, it's the Mint of Mirth who freshens the infernal breath of politics. It's John Oliver. Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. Well, Andy, it's been something of a mostly fraught week here in New York. On Monday night, we were promised an historic snowstorm, a shutdown snowstorm. Uh, some weather projections were saying that 20 inches of snow might fall down on the city in 24 hours, bringing everything to a standstill. The subway was shut. Cars were curfewed off the roads by 11 p.m. People prepared for a disaster. However, Andy... <laughs> Waking up the next morning, it turned out the storm merely clipped New York and hit Boston instead. There were a few inches of snow on the ground and a lot of f***ing angry New Yorkers <laughs> looking at it with a disgusted look on their face. Because if you promise New Yorkers an apocalypse, Andy, you'd better f***ing deliver on an apocalypse. Never has a city been so furious that something terrible did not happen to it. Not, not even the fact that Boston was miserable could make New York any happier. It was just wall-to-wall people complaining, where is my life-threatening snow? Where is it? I should be dead by now. Why am I here? Uh, there were. Um, I was in Norway last weekend, and um, uh, there was. I saw a, a story on a Norwegian news website. Uh, there was some uh, towns sort of up in the north of Norway, which is not renowned for its uh, warm and tropical winter weather. Uh, and there had been a lot of complaints about uh, from people about the uh, the effect of snow on local transport. And the uh, local police chief just came out and said, "I would encourage everyone to remember that they live in Norway." <laughs> <laughs> I mean. That's a pretty good argument, isn't it? Yep. People just kind of look down at their Norwegian boots and say, yeah, he's right. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't feel good for him to be right, but he is right nonetheless. <laughs> I mean, people are calming down here in America, Andy, because, of course, America is about to become Turbo America for a day this Sunday. It is Super Bowl Sunday, uh, the day of the year that America perfects itself. It's going to be the Seattle Seahawks against the New England Patriots. And I, for one, will be rooting for Seattle, Andy. Not so much because I want Seattle to win, as because I want Tom Brady, the Patriots quarterback, to lose. <laughs> I'm actively rooting against one individual player. And I'll tell you why, Andy. Because it would be good for him to have something go wrong in his life. <laughs> he is ridiculously attractive, frustratingly talented, and seems to be involved in a healthy marriage with a supermodel. And he's clearly going to age well as well, Andy. His face is clearly going to age like a French cheese. It's going to just become more sexually potent and dusty. I, I feel like a spectacular defeat would give his life texture, especially if the defeat is all his fault. So that's what I'm rooting for, Andy. I'm rooting for that, for him, for his own good. It would be a gift for him to be humiliated during that game, look around at the rest of his life, and appreciate it a bit f***ing more. <laughs> Uh, bad omen for Seattle, though. Uh, I used to have a um, Seattle Seahawks hat, and I oh, left, yeah. left it on a train. So you can... Uh, oh, boy. Oh, that was a damn warm hat, and uh, I don't know you can read into that what you want, sports fans. 
I've been enjoying the uh, build-up uh, from uh, Marshawn Lynch. Um, it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, for, for those for those people who don't know, Marshawn Lynch is an enigmatic uh, and very impressive Seattle running back, and he has basically been engaging in a kind of campaign of silence with sports reporters, and he's driving them absolutely crazy. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> In fact, basically, he did uh, press conferences where his only replies were, I'm just here so I don't get fined, and then this next yeah. one, you know why I'm here. Which, yeah. I mean, that's... I mean, the second one did possibly suggest that he might be the long-awaited messiah. And well, have... That's the thing, it's so enigmatic <laughs> that it does really give you food for thought. It, it's almost like... There are, I'm sure there are French philosophers looking at Marshawn Lynch's first comment and I go, why, why, why are any of us here? Why is Marshawn here? Why do we speak? Why is there life? He's, he's posing many questions, which is it's important for us to try and answer. Yeah, that's, uh, he's very much the uh, Aristotle of the 21st century, but uh, a faster runner. Uh, I'm recording in that studio near St Paul's again on a street called Cock Lane. Uh, I believe the bugle may have found its spiritual home. Um, and uh, it's quite a fascinating little street. It was the site of the famous Cock Lane Ghost, uh, which was uh, an alleged haunting that took place in the 1760s by a ghost named, wait for it, Scratching Fanny. Um, now, I, I just love the internet. Sometimes facts are even better than bullshit. Uh, when uh, Scratching Fanny was alive, uh, she had a servant called Carrots. The story gets better and better. And her supposed ghostly existence led to seances attended by, amongst others, the Duke of York, who was the brother of the f***ing king. Went to a seance. That was a proper monarchy. Not like today's half-arsed bullshit. Um, it turned out that this, uh, this ghost was, in fact, a hoax perpetrated by the landlord. Uh, of the property in Cock Lane uh, and his young daughter just scratching on the wall uh, after an investigation featuring none other than the dictionary-writing lexicography celebrity Samuel Johnson. Um, it's a truly extraordinary little piece of history that I'd never come across before. The Cock, Cock Lane ghost ringleader was sentenced to be pilloried. So basically put in... Uh, he had to put his he put head and arms... In a, uh, in, a, uh, in a sort of lock device and people can taunt you and throw fruit at you. But apparently the public took pity on him and just like gave him money as if he was some odd kind of street artist. Um, so that, that's, I hope the vibes of that extraordinary story will uh, infect this uh, podcast. As always, a section of the bugle is going straight in the bin. This week, your vegetable problems. Uh, you, you can uh, write in to our vegetable agony aunts uh, with questions such as, I think my lettuce is depressed, how can I cheer it up? My vegetable patch has been haunted by the ghosts of last year's dead carrots. My, but oddly, I wrote that before finding out about the Cock Street story. Yet it involved both ghosts and carrots. I think there might be something supernatural at work here. Also, uh, we teach you some intermediate-level potato massaging techniques, and if your beetroots won't germinate, we give you some special tips to make them feel a little bit more sexy. That section in the bin. Top story this week. All we are saying is give Greece a chance. 
Now, Andy, the Greeks may have invented democracy, but clearly over the last decade they've teetered tantalisingly close to destroying it. <laughs> uh, the Greek people have been forced to endure crippling austerity measures after watching their economy implode in 2008. And implode it did, Andy. It crumbled like a Greek column. In fact, Greeks, the Gre Greece's economy, Andy, was very much like the Acropolis. Once great, but now nearly gone because no one was paying enough attention to it. <laughs> but the Acropolis will be standing today, Andy. That's an important point to make. The Acropolis will be standing today if the British had had the foresight to steal it before we stole all their marbles. Sorry, not stole, borrowed their marbles. Sorry, not borrowed, liberated their marbles. Sorry, not liberated, stole their marbles. Yes, that's better. Well, well last week... Greeks went to the polls for an election with the uh, eyes of the world upon them. And if not the world, then certainly the eyes of the rest of Europe, because the EU was pretty heavily invested in the outcome of this election, and not just emotionally, financially. Greece is currently in debt to the tune of $270 billion to the EU and the IMF alone. So Europe literally had a financial stake in whatever the result was. And the choices were between a new democratic party, widely unpopular and held responsible for the austerity measures, some new parties on the block, and of course, Greece's terrifying nationalist Golden Dawn Party, a party whose logo looks, to quote one of their members, pretty like a swastika. <laughs> <laughs> if something looks pretty like a swastika, Andy, I think you can say it looks a f a lot more like a swastika than anyone should be comfortable with. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering if there's a comma in that phrase, pretty like a swastika, <laughs> which I think would make it worse. That might, that might have been the problem. Now, just to give you a sense of how frustrated the Greek electorate were in the run-up to the vote, this is one of my favourite passages from the news this week. A journalist went to Greece to interview some people in a cafe and wrote... Amid for dense cigarette smoke, one 82-year-old man slammed his hands down next to his Nescafe and backgammon board and told me he would never vote again for anyone because he didn't believe in anything anymore. <laughs> wow. Wow, that's weak, Andy. I mean, that man may have just lost a game of backgammon, but I've got to believe it does actually go deeper than that. <laughs> Uh, yes, the voters of Greece have given a resounding oh f this to the years of austerity, a f this to the ruination of ordinary people's lives and livelihoods, f this to the rampant corruption, tax evasion and asset stripping of uh, their nation, and a f you to both Fraulein Frugal, Angela Merkel, and the Troika of the EU, the IMF and the European Central Bank that have essentially parented the Greek economy in recent years, albeit with the kind of parenting you might have got in a 19th century at the wrong end of a very big stick and an angry dad. Uh, the new government has come in and downgraded those f**k's to screw you's as it begins the process of renegotiating uh, various aspects, including the length of the nail with which the great financial powers of Europe keep Greece's balls firmly attached to their coffee table. Now, it's quite exciting, this, in a lot of ways. I've got a real soft spot for Greece, John, because, uh, well, I loved organised sport, uh, which Greece sort of basically started. I like comedy. Uh, I'm partial to the occasional blockbusting war epic. Thanks again to Greece for those. It doesn't stop there. I quite enjoy just lounging around, thinking about stuff, preferably with my junk out. Another tip of the hat to Greece for inventing that as a hobby. And I really, really love sacrificing herds of oxen to appease the vengeful gods. But most of all, I just absolutely love voting. And so it's, um, it, it is, as you say, the home of democracy has taken a pounding recently. And as soon as this... This, uh, I guess, it was 
a, a hopeful election result from the point of view of the people who've had a tough time recently, then the reactions against it began. Uh, the stock markets sank, and there were concerns that really the new government would be putting the eek into economics. Uh, it was described as a significant risk which could lead to instability and economic disaster, which I guess is roughly equivalent to Captain Scott saying to Oates, what are you doing going outside of this time of year? You might get a little bit chilly. Well, it turned out uh, in this marathon of democracy that... Uh, oh, that's another thing they invented. Uh, it turned <laughs> out that uh, in this uh, election, the winner was the relatively new left-wing party, Syriza, uh, who won with 36% of the vote on a platform of ditching austerity and renegotiating the EU bailout. And I think it's safe to say, Andy, that that was not what the EU and the IMF were particularly looking for in a result. Uh, so Greece's new prime minister is Alexis Tsipras, who gave an impassioned victory speech... Uh, in Athens on Sunday night. He spoke of wanting to restore Greece to its former glory. Although, to be fair, that's one hell of a restoration project, Andy. <laughs> you're, not, you're not going back a decade in that case. You're going back centuries. And if that's really what he wanted, he shouldn't have delivered that speech in a suit. He should have delivered it in a f***ing toga, Andy, <laughs> holding a flagon of wine and demanding that everyone in Greece should now be naked for 80% of the day and homosexual for at least half of it. <laughs> that was when Greece was truly great, Andy. Don't claim that you're taking the country back to those days without being specific. If you want to be great, be great at your best. Uh, John, 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 John. To- togas. That's a very much a Roman, Roman item of clothing. I well, mean, what is the Greek toga, Andy? Uh, What's t- the, John, right? look, I don't know. I came out from my four years studying like a the ancient. Like what would they call it? Well, I don't know. I think a chiton or something. But uh, uh, all I know is so that no, I, I came yeah, out but, from four years studying ancient civilization with about three facts. Uh, one of them was that a toga is definitely Roman, not Greek. <laughs> And the other is that the ancient Greeks had a punishment for adultery, which involved shoving a large-rooted radish up the uh, backside of the guilty man. That's I mean. All right, so naked, so naked then, Andy. They were probably just naked, the Greeks. Uh, they hadn't even developed the wraparound sheet yet. That, the Greeks are wrong. No, but they uh, had developed so the radish he up the arse. Been naked. He should have walked out completely bollock naked. <laughs> He should have stood on stage and said what he said, naked, which was, our people have a right to joy and celebration. For five years, they've taken both away from us. And the cloud went wild, Andy. That was a real drop-the-mic moment, or I guess in Greece, a real smash-the-plate moment. <laughs> he should have done that. He should have got to the end of his speech, completely naked, smashed the plate on the floor, and said, everything's going to be fine, before someone whispered in his ear and he said, it seems there are some massive structural problems in this nation. I might have overstated the, my potential. To be fair, Spurs does seem to be different from either the breathtakingly corrupt or the mind-numbingly bureaucratic politicians of the last 20 years. In Greece, he's apparently known for his rhetorical skills, his dislike of neckties, and his youthful looks. And Andy, I think it might be time for politicians to accept the bigger political renegade has to be about more than just the absence of a necktie. <laughs> it, it seems that across the world, there is nothing presented as more rebellious by a politician than not wearing a tie and potentially having their sleeves rolled up. That's as close as they're willing to get to sartorial anarchy. Again, Andy, if he, if he was really a rebel, he'd be naked. Or in a toga if he was Roman, as we now know. <laughs> naked. I, I, I'm so, I hate to harp on about this, Andy, but if he was naked, you'd be looking at a genuinely transformational Greek figure right there. <laughs> Just a matter of time. You've got to, maybe that's too big a step on his, in his first week in office. I think give it a month, he, he will be oiled up and 
probably wrestling Angela Merkel live on Greek television. His new uh, finance minister, Yanis Varoufakis, uh, said uh, the day after the election, what really matters is that we now sit down and discuss a way in which the haircut to our debt is minimised. Now, <laughs> this guy speaks my language. Uh, but also, you have to ask, what happens after you cut your hair? Well, for a start, it, it grows back. And for a second start, you get mercilessly teased by people who haven't recently had their hair cut. So either way, I cannot see this ending well for Greece. Already achieved a great deal just by the dint of being elected, to be fair. But now he has inherited one of the hardest jobs on the planet. Because it is hard to overstate just how serious Greece's financial problems are. When you campaign on a platform of writing off a hefty chunk of debt, that already sounds difficult. But when that debt is 175% of your country's entire GDP you're biting off a pretty sizable souvlaki of a challenge. <laughs> and you only need to look at the general reaction around the EU to see just how sizable that souvlaki is. In Germany, which is the country uh, that holds the most Greek debt, the tabloid newspaper Bills wrote, Greece elects a Euro monster. How many billions is this going to cost us? <laughs> OK. First things, Germany. Pump the brakes on the fear of a young, charismatic leader posing a threat to Europe. You're on thin ice there. Thin, thin ice. And also, give the guy a f***ing chance to annoy you first. At least let him provoke those headlines with some actions, or you're leaving yourself nowhere to go. Uh, Germany's vice-chancellor also reiterated the need for Greece to respect the terms of its bailout, which sounds like a reasonable suggestion until you look at the terms of the bailout, and also you hear that suggestion in a German accent. Respect the terms of the bailout! Respect them! Respect the terms! Be beautiful language. Lovely. It's just yeah. like soft poetry to the ears. <laughs> So in all of this concern, uh, not, not unjustified concern at the result by Germany, the onus was on Prime Minister Tsipras to make some early conciliatory gestures, especially to the Germans. He even went so far as to say to the German government that he was not looking for a fight, which is why it was so noticeable that his first act after being sworn into office was to pay his respects to a monument honouring the communists executed by Nazi-occupied forces <laughs> in 1944. Oof, Andy, <laughs> oof. That is not going to pacify the Germans. That is historical hardball that he's playing. <laughs> Tsipras has also said, we will not continue a policy of catastrophe, which just goes to show what a naive idealist he is. A proper, hard-nosed modern politician knows that when you are halfway through a policy of catastrophe, you have to have the courage to see that catastrophe through. Otherwise, the results could be absolutely catastrophic, and you will piss the catastrophe off, making it worse. You have to appease the catastrophe and let it take its course. That is a lesson that Europe really should have learnt very well indeed. Uh, Varoufakis insisted that his country cannot restore its finances until its debt is lessened and described the bailout terms as fiscal waterboarding. Now, waterboarding, John, as we know, has an at-best checkered record of success. It worked very well for the Beach Boys as a theme for hit singles in the 1960s, but less well for the USA in getting terror suspects <laughs> to admitting bits of terror they were or were not planning to do 
or not do. And generally, using it creates a significant amount of resentment in the recipients of the waterboarding treatment and a slightly queasy feeling from the neutral, very much like the treatment of the Greek economy in that respect. Although, to be fair, the Greek central bank uh, did eventually crack last year and admit that it was planning to launch a nuclear attack on the Los Angeles counter-terrorist unit just to stop Angela Merkel from holding the towel over its face again. Uh, Budgetary belt tightening is all very well, but it tends to go down significantly less popularly when someone else is holding your belt and tightening around your neck whilst your trousers fall down and they look right into your face at point-blank range while saying, are you feeling better yet? Maybe this belt needs to be just a little bit tighter. So you can understand why Greece is trying to throw off these shackles. Although shackles not always easy to throw off, which is, I guess, what makes them shackles and not pyjamas. That's always been true. Never a true word spoken. That's right, a bit of Plato there for you. Quotes, fans. Just to get a sense of the scale of what this new government in Greece is up against, it was really distilled by one newspaper report I read this week, which said, vowing to defend Greek dignity, Mr. Tsipras said, a renegotiation of the Greek debts would aim for a viable, fair, mutually beneficial solution. He did not give any details. And look, (laughs) he doesn't have to give any details, Andy. But he does have to have some idea of what those details might f***ing be. Because the closest I could find to a plan was that Syriza is pledging to give 300,000 households in Greece under the poverty line up to 300 kilowatts of free electricity per month and food subsidies for the same number of families who have no income. Tax on heating fuel is going to be scrapped. Uh, and then there are also some plans for free medical care for those uh, who are unemployed and do not have uh, medical insurance. And all of that sounds great, if a little expensive. So you might reasonably ask where the money's going to come from. Well, the party claims that this plan has all been priced out at a total of 11.3 billion euros and will be paid for by several initiatives, including a crackdown on tax evasion and smuggling. Well, hold on, Andy. That's giving away the Greek identity. <laughs> if you're cutting down on tax evasion and smuggling, you might as well cut down on moustaches and pita bread as well, because you're giving the f***ing house away. <laughs> well, they announced four pillars of the National Reconstruction Plan. Those are their, their words. Four pillars. <laughs> now, as you suggested earlier on, John, the history of the pillar in Greece is a mixed one. And there are a lot that aren't in quite such good shape as they used to be. Um, the four pillars were, uh, one, confronting the humanitarian crisis and developing the country as a result of austerity. Two, restarting the economy and promoting tax justice. Three, regaining unemployment. And four, transforming the political system and deepening democracy. I'd like to chuck in a pillar number five for them. A new ingredient for your f***ing food. You've basically used the same four for f***ing ages. I'm going on a holiday to Greece in April. Bowls of yoghurt and weird stuff that came out of goat's tits is not going to cut the mustard for ten whole days. Raise the bar, Greece. Raise the culinary bar. But you have to. There's a, there's a few questions with these these pillars of uh, of the recovery. This term, tax justice, which is the kind of term that sets alarm bells ringing and chief executives going straight onto the internet to check flights to Monaco and the Cayman Islands. So best of luck, Greece. I think you will definitely need it. But at the same time. Uh, with a third of Greece currently living below the poverty line, you have to think if 300 Spartans could hold off the combined might of the Persian Empire and look absolutely buff whilst doing it, then maybe this new anti-austerity party can can do something for Greece. Uh, And here's a a financial figure that really puts 
Put things into some perspective. This week, Apple, the uh, celebrity uh, technology giant, announced world record quarterly profits, $18 billion in three months. That is the most ever made by a company. Broke the record held by uh, oil stars ExxonMobil, which suggests that gadgets have now overtaken oil which does raise the very exciting possibility of major wars being fought over Wi-Fi hotspots in motorway <laughs> service stations, under the pretext, of course, of overthrowing a naughty despot whose past is used by date. But basically, it's all about the Wi-Fi. Uh, your emails now. Uh, this one came in from Pete, who, who writes, In response to Sammy's email in Bugle 285, I thought it was important to clarify that when visiting Australia, the Bugle podcast will not... I repeat, will not protect you from snakes. Um, I can't believe the science will back you up on that. There's an old saying here in Australia, and by old saying I mean a Chuck Norris joke that I've shamelessly plagiarised. If you can see a snake, it can see you. If you can't see a snake, you may be seconds away from death. Um, Which, I I think that's basically the subtext of the Greek election as well. Uh, But he sent a a picture of um, him holding his phone with a snake it looks like an actual snake wrapped around his hand and phone so uh if anything the bugle attracts snakes <laughs> rather than repelling snakes i don't i mean this needs to be there needs uh, there must be some bugle listening scientists out there who could do some much needed research into whether or not the bugle in particular and podcasts in general do or do not attract or repel snakes the world is dangerous enough as it is without having that sort of damocles dangling over our faces <laughs> looking at the photo though it does appear that he is almost at the end of the episode so it must have saved it must have prevented the snake right. biting him for all of what looks like about 28 minutes already okay so it's possible that the bugle attracts snakes who assume they're going to hate it but then actually when they start listening they quite get into it. Snakes are a big money market. Yeah. That's just a fact of showbiz. That's why so many of them work in the industry. Uh, do keep your emails coming in to info at thebuglepodcast.com. On the subject of Australia, I will be going to uh, Australia, as I mentioned last week, and New Zealand uh, for gigs. I'm in Christchurch on the 20th of February, Auckland on the 24th, then uh, in Australia, Adelaide on the 21st. That could do with shifting some units. And Sydney on the uh, 25th and Melbourne on the 28th. There might be an extra gig in Sydney and Melbourne. I'll keep you posted and do check uh, the website. Uh, Also, a quick update on the Bugle Appeal. Um, You have now collectively donated uh, almost £50,000 to help my daughter's friend Michelle get her uh, cancer treatment at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And... um, uh, next week, we have a week off the Bugle next week, but uh, we will put a show out, hopefully including an interview with uh, Michelle and an update on, on when the treatment can start. But thanks once again. If you do want to contribute, gofundme.com slash this hyphen is hyphen Michelle. Uh, don't forget also to check out our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash the hyphen Bugle. Quick sports story. There was talk in the um, amongst uh, Saudi officials of a possible joint Olympic bid with Bahrain. And the reason that they needed to have a joint bid was that they wanted to hold all the women's events in a different country. Um, 
I'm sure that's what the Olympics is uh, is all about. Personally, I will be in favour of this on one condition that they're held at separate times, so we basically get two Olympics. I would I believe that the massively sexist price would be worth paying to get the extra sport on telly. Um, but I don't know the Olympics in Saudi Arabia. It would yeah yeah it just doesn't seem quite right. We've seen the international community. Uh, bowing down before the late King Abdullah. The uh, Norwegian Prime Minister, Erna Solberg, uh, she said this, The late King really had some reform programmes that I hope will continue. I don't think he's right up there in your top ten all-time greatest reformers. And I think possibly praising those reforms is a bit like seeing a lion accidentally trip over in its enclosure in a zoo and swallow a tomato and respond by saying, well, I think he's 50% of the way to becoming a vegetarian. So, good luck uh, for the Super Bowl uh, to uh, Marshall Lynch. I do hope he, if, if they win and he does post-match press conferences, he is equally philosophical in them. Oh, yeah, you got, he has to. You got, yeah. He has to commit to this for the rest of his career now. <laughs> Refuse to engage in the premise of any question. <laughs> I'm I'm completely behind him. <laughs> uh, who's going to win, John? Well, I'm hoping Seattle, Andy. Yeah. Again, I don't, I don't actually I don't really care who wins as long as Tom Brady loses. <laughs> I guess that involves Seattle winning. So if he's in, if he if he gets injured, does I mean that throws yeah, your calculations fine. out of kilter? Then you don't mind who wins at all. Well, I don't want him to get hurt. Right. But I want him to be so I'd like him to slip and have to leave the field because he's so ashamed of himself. <laughs> It's a possibility. Never rule it out. Uh, so we will have a sub-bugle uh, next week, um, and uh, hopefully the week after, uh, a possible tricontinental bugle with me in uh, Melbourne, uh, John in the States, and uh, Chris in um, Mogadishu. Um, <laughs> and uh, hopefully. Uh, so we will speak to you uh, indirectly next week, and hopefully directly the week after that, or possibly the week after that. Until then, buglers, goodbye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss Lime Bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.